My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this episode, we're chatting with Angela Bergman, Senior SEO Strategist at Advanced Local and fellow Ohioan. We talk about her career progression from WordPress developer to SEO strategist, discuss her passion for WordPress and speaking at WordCamps all around the Midwest, discuss our public speaking advice, talk about the Wall Street Journal SEO kerfuffle, and dive deep into structured data. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Angela's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey, everybody. This is Jacob Stoops again here with the Page 2 Podcast. How's everybody doing? Doing great. Assuming everybody's doing great. Um, we're also here with Mr. Jeff Luella. Hey, howdy, hey. <laughs> Jeff, I'm going to need you <laughs> to be a little bit more boisterous with your, yes. your intro. Hey, you're, you're two weeks out from me forgetting to interview <laughs> you. So, like, I'm thinking you're really coming into your own. So, yes. come on. Give All me right. a little more. Give me a little more. <laughs> Hello, everybody. There we go. Um, and then we are also here with Angela Bergman. How are you doing, Angela? Fantastic. How are you guys doing? We are doing awesome. Actually, I'm not doing awesome. I, I have to confess, about 45 minutes ago, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deviate into a quick story, I got an email from GoDaddy, who I use for hosting. I don't know why I use them, and I'm sure people will yell at me about that, but it's just been who I've been using, and I am too lazy to switch, that I bought some new Linux hosting. And I did not buy new Linux hosting 45 minutes ago. And no! I was 45 minutes ago, so I, uh, uh, just before we all jumped on, had to call GoDaddy customer service to, uh, one, cancel that order, <laughs> Because I did not buy it. Yeah. And two, figure out like who the hell hacked my account. And uh, I came to find out that one domain I own, then I'm going to have to take care of it after we, uh, after we finish recording, is actually now a Russian gambling website. So it looks like there's been some oh. Russian experience the with Russians my again. GoDaddy account. The Russians, <laughs> Russians are trying to get in and impersonate me. And in fact, seem to have called GoDaddy uh, with my information and ordered hosting for, for whatever reason. So yeah, oh. had to reset my password, uh-huh. set up some two-factor authentication. And uh, I'm, a little, I'm coming into this uh, a, a little bit annoying. <laughs> And that's how we all want to spend our Friday, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Dealing with Russian interference and collusion. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so Angela, I have on good authority that you are a senior SEO strategist at Advanced Local, and I'll have you know that you are the first Ohioan that we've brought on. And it, not to say that you're that. You're the first native Ohioan. Some other folks have been native to Ohio, but they don't live there now. You're the first one that actually still lives in Ohio. And and in terms of proximity, I'm in Columbus. You're you're the closest interviewee to me in terms of actual 
proximity. So congratulations. Ohio pride. Yay, <laughs> Buckeyes. <laughs> O-H. I-O. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> and people and people who do not follow follow college football are going to have no idea what actually who do not follow Ohio State are going to have no idea what just happened. Just play hang on Sloopy and we'll be good. Exactly. Exactly. So Angela, <laughs> you are in uh you I can't remember. Did you say you work in Akron and live in Cleveland or live in Cleveland and work in Akron? Opposite. I live in Akron and I work in Cleveland. Okay. So the AK Kind of like LeBron did up to yes. um, the land. Cool. I, am, I, am, I work in the land and I'm from where LeBron is from. Actually nice. the same part of Akron even. So I have a lot of James pride. So you yeah. Like LeBron of SEO. Did you go to his, his high school, St. Vincent, St. Mary's? Um, no, actually I went to the school he didn't go to oh. because he went to private school. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So, I have to ask you, before we get into your background on another tangent, did you watch the Browns game last Thursday? Oh, yeah. Oh, what yeah, I totally like watched that. What happened? I've got, like, I, ha- I feel like I haven't been able to talk to anybody except maybe my wife. <laughs> and that's basically just me yelling about the whole situation. Like, what the hell happened? Like, what's going on here with, uh, with our Brownies and, and Mr. Miles Garrett? Well, it's the, it's the, the, we hate the Steelers, so it was already going to be a contentious game. And then, like, I'm obviously mad that Garrett acted like an idiot. You did. Um, hitting Rudolph in the head with his helmet, getting out of line, you know, Ogunjobi shoving him, not good, you know. But, like, Rudolph not getting any punishment for escalating the fight is what makes me mad. And the right. other thing that makes me mad is that I know that they're escalating punishments for things. But, like, convicted wife beaters get a, a six-game suspension. Yep. And Garrett's getting an indefinite suspension for hitting a guy on the field during a fight that was escalated with a helmet. Yeah. Yep. Seems a little unfair. <laughs> yep. Uh, and it's funny because we've got um, Kareem Hunt on our team, and, and we're not fielding a team full of choir boys. Yeah. Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Eight games for beating a woman, and yeah. my Garrett hits a quarterback in his head with a helmet. Now, granted, he could have killed him. Um, so there is that. He could have. Ridiculous. Yep. Hunt could have killed him. Indefinitely. I, I saw him kicking her. <laughs> so yeah, Ogan Joby like Pouncy kicking him while he's down. I right. mean, it's not Pouncy got lucky that he didn't actually really connect too much, but he was kicking yeah. Yeah. Garrett while he was down. And like, thing, none of them are choir boys. <laughs> and the thing about this is, like, this this all happened with eight seconds left. And to, like, put in perspective the yes. level of injury that we have as 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 Browns fans, uh, honestly, as as Cleveland fans, up until the, the Cavs championship a few years ago, being a Cleveland fan over the course of the last 30 or 40 years. Blood, sweat, and tears. It's been just complete misery. And with the Browns yeah. in particular, <laughs> First off, our team was taken away. Then it came back, and it's hot garbage since it came back. Yes. They always find a way to disappoint us. So, like, to, to, to really put it in perspective, this is the first World season. factory of sadness. Our two rivals in the same season, that being the Steelers and the Ravens. And yep. I, was, I was on cloud nine. I was like, yes, we didn't just beat the Steelers. 
touchdown. He beat them. And I'm sitting there going like, this is great. This is great. And then with eight seconds left, we see this kind of melee and like my heart sinks. And I'm like, they couldn't, they couldn't allow us as fans to get out of this game without disappointing us one more, one more time. As a Browns That's fan, exactly. for the other shoe to drop. And like, and I thought, oh my God, we're going to win this game and the other shoe isn't going to drop. And then frankly, or promptly, it was like, nope, nope. Yeah. Other shoe just dropped in a big way and in an embarrassingly Cleveland way. So, yep. all right. <laughs> so so now that we are that, the factory of sadness. Yeah, it is the factory of sadness. So now that we've covered uh, the, the unimportant stuff, let's cover the important stuff. So, Angela, tell us about your, your background. Where did you come from? Who are you? How did you get into SEO? So, I got into SEO through Twitter. Really? <laughs> and, like, 2007. So taking it all the way back, I decided when we got our first desktop computer in like 2000 that websites look really cool. I want to learn how to do that. So I taught myself how to build websites. I started doing like personal journaling as it was back then. Like you'd buy a domain and you'd create a journal online. Um, got into content management systems as they were coming around. So like Gray Matter, B2, movable type, got into WordPress, got very heavily into using WordPress and like the personal website scene. Um, Cause that was pretty popular with like teenage girls and like early twenties, adult girls um, creating just personal lifestyle type sites is what we essentially consider it now. Um, and I got super into social media because that was a big part of that scene. Um, I was, a, I was working retail like, cashier and I was super into social media, playing video games, doing websites and um, guy that I followed on Twitter that we had a lot of music in common was like, Hey, I see you're really good at building like WordPress sites. You're really good at social media. We need an intern at our marketing agency. Would you be interested? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I interviewed, started internship, got hired in. Um, they taught me SEO and PPC and kind of like where to start learning more about it and how to like pick up on it. And I just got super into it from there and just kind of took off. And I, I went back and forth for a while between like web development and then digital marketing, but I always really liked SEO and SEO is where I really love to be. And that's finally where I get to be kind of full time after spending time doing a little bit of everything. So what brought you to um, advance local? So I loved the, the advanced local because I love doing agency work. Um, I know that's not typical for a lot of SEOs. A lot of the SEOs that I run into like to be like the in-house person doing the super deep dives, looking through logs, that kind of stuff. Whereas I really like the fast paced nature of agency work and day to day, I don't know what vertical I'll be looking at. Um, so, you know, I have clients that run the gamut from, you know, roofers to nonprofit foundations. So it, it really is everybody. And I love that. So one question I, I have to ask then is, so you said you love agency work. You're, you're, I think a rare, a rare breed. I also feel like I'm a better fit in agency 
a, I call it agency world because it's just this crazy, um, <laughs> difficult monster of a, of a stress, stress ball that I seem to thrive in. And I think that there are very few, um, a lot of people working in what I call agency, agency world. Um, not everybody's a good fit for it. Some people are, are a better fit for in-house. Yeah. So like, aside from just it being fast paced, what I guess intrinsic qualities do you feel like you have that sort of lend you to that versus being on the in-house side? So, and this is one of the things that I really look for when I'm, when I'm hiring people for our team um, is I look for agency SEO. You have to have a desire to know something about everything, not even necessarily super in depth because when you're on the agency side, you're for a long time, you're usually a little bit more high level, I feel like but you need to have a willingness to be knowledgeable about everything and have that desire to learn about things that have nothing to do with your personal life. I know way more about windows than any girl could ever want to know, but it's because of my, who my client is and it's not because I'm necessarily interested in it, but I consume knowledge. I know more about, so I think you take, (laughs) like oh man I just I really needed to know which window would be which vinyl window would be perfect for my um, you know turn of the century home yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's right but you combine that with I think people that work really well in agency um, are those people that like to procrastinate because we work better under pressure (laughs) <laughs> and agency is constant pressure, so we constantly have that stimulation that we feel like we need to produce our best work. <laughs> yeah, there, there is, um, I do find that there's more pressure working in the agency environment, and there's more, there's definitely more variability. You're not working on the same thing every day. You're not working in the same industry every day. And for me, that's nice. I could see where for other people that would be pretty obnoxious. And there have been times in my career where I, when I have gone to the in-house side, um, where that's what I thought I wanted. Um, and, and there are times where like, I was pretty fulfilled doing that, coming to work and working on the, um, the same thing every day. But something about the, the competitive nature, I feel like this is not to say that in-house SEOs are not great because there are many, many great in-house SEOs, but I feel like the amount of pressure to drive impact leads me to be better at my job. And I think that you get more creativity um, out of that because people are constantly trying to think ahead, trying to work ahead, trying to make sure in that short time, time span that you have, which is usually three, six, or 12 months, your contract in which the you're getting evaluated and people are deciding whether or not to pay you based on your performance. And a lot of times, because implementation is really hard, you're not getting your recommendations implemented until well into that contract. Yeah. Um, you have to become aggressive and that means you have to be creative and you have to be on the cutting edge. And that's, 
that's where I like to, I like to live. I like to live dangerously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get to, you get to try, I feel like I get to try a lot of the fun things because I, I have like that handful of clients that wants to be cutting edge. So they're willing to pay to try the thing. Yeah. What is the area of expertise that you have because you've worked on a particular client that is the furthest thing from your personality or maybe the oddest thing for you besides windows? So probably um, that's so tough because I, I'm such a crazy knowledge person. I feel like everything is relevant to me because I want to know things about everything. I probably autos. I'm not super into cars. I'm just not. Um, but I've come up with some very creative ways to address SEO for automotive clients because they have those inherent difficulties that come with like the content management and like inventory management systems they're locked into. Their page speed is always going to be terrible. It's a given. They're going to have technical things that we're never going to be able to touch. And there's no point even reporting on it because they're just, there's no hope there. So I have kind of worked to figure out like, what can we do that'll make an effect and actually show some organic growth for them um, without having to get into the things that we would typically want to touch. <laughs> Jeff, you work on a, pretty well-known, who will not be named here, automotive client. What are your thoughts about yeah. that? Uh, well, that's automotive parts. Um, so it is more e-commerce, but there, you know, some of those parts are so specific. Um, yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's a ton of competition out there, right? So it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm always battling that aspect of just like, we have an oxygen sensor. <laughs> it's like every, like every site has it out there. How do we kind of beat things out? Um, but they are very, you know, a lot of it is that I'm fighting is like kind of having content, like trying to build it up to where like your average consumer is looking at it. But the way that the automotive parts world works, it's like by part numbers most of the time, right? So you have a yeah. part number and it's like you're optimizing for a part number <laughs> and more than someone's looking for a specific um, you know, general terms like brake pads are great for me, who's not a car person looking, but for someone who's actually like at an auto shop, they need part, you know, ML4973, and that comes up first. So, yep. Um, so it's an interesting mix there because every, like, more people search for brake parts <laughs> uh, than that model number, but that model number converts it like 90%, while the other one converts it 0.1%. So it's, Exactly. So where, how are we going to write content to target the actual conversion? Exactly. So, and how do we beat out the other people who use the like same exact model number is part of my issues. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've done that. I, I've also worked with a lot of like um, manufacturers where their target audience is knows that they need the part that this place makes, but they have no idea what it's called. They just know that they need it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always fun. Yeah. Helping engineers find engineers. Good times. Yeah. yeah. Now, I have uh, like one thing that I know way too much about besides wedding dresses that I never knew that I would like working in the agency world. And it's like feeding tubes is one that I like. Oh, yeah. Is, a, is a specialty that I'm into now, um, which is something that I like 
I hope no one ever has to learn about. But you know, now that like there is a major um, concern out there when you do need it, so it's like, how do we? You know, it's just weird marketing things like, like that because it's just like something you expect your doctor just to give to you. But there are brands out there, just like you see commercials on prescription TVs, like you get my arthritis medication or get my, you know, I have this rare skin disease. And, you know, there's oh, yeah. three drugs out there, but we need to be number one over those three. And, and that's kind of where I am with um, in the, the feeding tube world right now. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Yeah, no, and it's true. Like medical is one of those verticals that's like personal and professional interest for me. So I know in a way more about medical stuff than any one yeah. person probably ever should. <laughs> but yeah, there's so many intricacies to it. Like is your target audience patients? Is it caregivers? Is it doctors? Yeah. Is it manufacturers? Is it distributors? Like, people don't think about that side all of the it. Above. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of the above. So, which different types, which different things are we going to do to address each different audience? Yeah, all on one <laughs> site. That's ours. It's like you're you're trying to get to the consumer, but doctors also, and mostly the people at hospitals that are ordering. You know, it's like those are the people who are actually buying because as a consumer, you're not necessarily buying. It's all done through insurance but for the most part. So it's kind of getting those yeah, doctors exactly. and, and, and procurers at hospitals to be able to get that stuff. So. Yep. So I don't know if you guys know this, but Columbus, Ohio is a hub for fashion retailers. Bet you didn't know it that. Is. Limited. Yeah, Victoria's Secret, um, The Limited, yep. Lane Bryant, um, Abercrombie & Fitch, all based in Columbus, Ohio, which is crazy. And the reason I say that is because that is my weird, really weird one. Um, so this is not recent. Like, I, I don't know anything about fashion. I really don't. Um, I can barely get up and pick, up my, pick out my clothes in the, in the morning. And usually, like, it's just T-shirt and jeans. So I worked on a fashion retailer, not one of those that I named um, a couple of years ago in more than a couple. It was, it was before I had a family. So my, my oldest son is six years old. Uh, so this predates, predates him. So it was before I should have known anything about children's clothing. And um, I, was, I was working on a fashion site for young girls which like <laughs> was so like for me as like a, a, a young, not even married at the time person without kids felt so weird and creepy. And I like, as I was working on, I was proud to be working on the brand, but also I was like, I'm not going to show anybody my search history because if they saw it without context, <laughs> giant creep. So <laughs> That's my, that's my weird one. And it was just, it wasn't like anything weird, like Victoria's Secret lingerie or anything like that or, or anything. It was just normal clothing, except it yeah. was little girls. And with, if somebody had looked at my computer without context <laughs> that I was visiting that website every day, yeah. I think I would have had some questions. <laughs> I always joke with people that like if any if an SEO ever gets arrested, like please don't look at our search history. Right, it's really right. not indicative of who we are as a person. Right. I did it for work. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, uh, I 
wasn't on purpose just looking at that site every day for yeah. years. Um, so you did mention something when you were kind of talking about how you were coming up in the, in the space. Um, Twitter, Twitter's a, a big thing. Twitter's still a big thing for, for the SEO. I would say Twitter is probably the best place to connect with other SEOs, um, more so yep. than other newer mediums like Instagram or even TikTok or whatever. I think Twitter even, I think it's like Facebook where it's becoming maybe a little for the, the older generation when it used to be the hip. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely yeah. or TikTok, but for right now, it's still the best place to um, communicate with other, other SEOs. So I do find it interesting that you were able to connect and get a job through Twitter. That's pretty yeah. crazy. Awesome. And then yep. you taught yourself WordPress. What was that like? So it really just kind of morphed because it, it started with Gray Matter, which was like a CGI-based content management system. And it just was so much easier than having to FTP into the site every day to like post something. And then keeping that running log and then trying to keep all of these separate HTML pages organized. Um, so it just really kind of morphed into like, how can I do this easier? And then just, it's that, I think that consumption for knowledge again comes into play because it's like, well, how do I figure this out? Why isn't this working? What do I have to do to make this work? How do I make it look pretty? And it just kind of went from there. Um, and because of that, like I, I got super involved in like the WordPress, local WordPress community. I went to WordPress meetups. Um, I hosted a WordCamp, um, and it really like between WordPress and like the digital marketing and social media is really just how I kind of built my career, teaching myself these things and getting to be really good at it and being fairly good at sharing that experience and like knowledge with other people to try to explain things to them at a level that they could get it. And I think that's how I've gotten some of the jobs that I've gotten is because I've been able to answer questions um, and explain it in a way that people can understand. You have spoken at a lot of word camps all across the Midwest, yeah. honestly, like we, we do our diligence before yeah. the episode and you've spoken <laughs> several times at each of these or at, in Columbus, in Canton, in Dayton, yep. Ann Arbor, Michigan, yes. Blue, A2, uh, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, hey, Kent. I wear an OSU hat. We wear OSU hats and always take pictures when we're on U of M campus, like in yeah. enemy territory. <laughs> yeah, very important to do. Um, but I think that one of the questions I, I would also ask outside of the, there are a lot of questions that come up when you start talking, um, teaching yourself, natural curiosity, um, and now this is kind of getting into the public speaking realm, but like, I feel like these are all very important characteristics and we'd like to, um, we'd like to end the episodes or at least we try. Sometimes we forget giving advice on like, Hey, if you're getting into the industry today, like what characteristics should you look to follow or try to um, emulate in, in other really great SEOs. And I, I think that, like you, you have, have shown, and, and I'm saying this because I came up in the same way. I was a um, graphic designer who 
had no other choice but to teach myself web design, who then fell into SEO. WordPress was a huge part of um, of my experience in, in web design. But like, I think having that natural curiosity, and I do see some people that come mm-hmm. into the industry and like, there's not always the hunger there to want to dive into some of these complex problems. And there's not always the, um, the, the real desire to teach yourself one of these skills. Um, yeah. How important do you feel like that part of it is when you're kind of coming up? I think it's critical. I think that desire to learn everything and teach yourself everything you possibly can is the foundation of being a really good SEO because things are going to change. Google could make a change tomorrow that rocks all of our worlds and we have to learn it right now. So if you're not able to like pivot quickly and learn things kind of on the fly, you're already at a detriment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and no matter what I ask, you, like anyone who I've ever talked to, like, what did you go to school for? It's never SEO, right? So it's, it's <laughs> so and I've worked with people who were, you know, wanted to be a gym teacher all the way to, you know, people like journalism is a big one. Um, and that's journalism what, is a big one. Yeah. And journalism is, is great. I mean, the technical side is where they need to have the curiosity, but I'm probably yeah. the opposite, where it's like on the content side, I probably need to have a little more curiosity on, on wordplay and, and things like that because um, I'm coming from a technical background. But it, yeah, it's it's having the curiosity yeah. in general and learning how to, you know, I always tell someone who's new, like build a WordPress site. That's just one because it's yep. there's so much information out there that you can't come, like if I say build a craft CMS site right now or go do with Expression Engine or go do... Movable type. Yeah, movable type or, um, you know, it's one of those where it's like there might not be as much out there. WordPress, there's this gigantic community that it's – and don't just go to WordPress.com and pay, you know, or get a free site there. (laughs) Um, Like go – Yeah, no. Go to .org, download it. And don't don't get like a host that you hit one button. Like my host does a one button (laughs) install, which is is fine for me now because I've installed it many times, but – yeah, like I use the one button installed, but that's because yeah. I've installed thousands of implementations exactly. of it. <laughs> and it makes it so easy. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. it's like knowing like, okay, I got to put my config file up to, what is a config file? <laughs> it's like, okay, now it's just like, great, yeah. now I got to hook that yeah. up to my SQL database. What is that my SQL database? You know, and it's just. Well, and that's, that's the kind of stuff too that when you, when you're learning it, like, so I work for a very large corporation. Um, I wanted access, administrative level access on my laptop. And they're like, why? And I was like, because I want to update my host file. And they were like, oh, you, you know what that? I'm like, yeah, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. I need to update it. And like just having that knowledge has helped me be able to get access to the things that I need because I know what I need. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I have a little confession that I've signed up for probably the last five years to go to WordPress pay, or WordCamp paid and I've never went. <laughs> uh, oh, I pay all the time. I totally support it and I love the idea of it. Um, I moved to, from Philadelphia to Atlanta about three years ago, but I, at least oh. three years in Philadelphia I paid and it's always because it's on the weekend, which yeah. usually is good. Saturday, because, Sunday. Hey, 
I can go on a weekend. Like, it seems great. But that's usually family time. And that's where it goes. Like, if you give me on a Tuesday, I can be like, I'm working late today. Or I can you know, sub- substitute work for the conference. But I, yeah. I, pay, I pay for it every year. And I send in our Atlanta office now that I'm at the company on that. Every year I send WordCamps coming, sign up here. And I always pay by my ticket because I support it. <laughs> um, and then I usually never get to go. So I um, Oh, you have I, to go. I mean, I, I will go this I, year, I guarantee I tell people all the time, I'm like, honestly, especially from the tech, like SEO side, like WordCamps are amazing. I, yeah. I've met some of the best people I know through that. Um, actually, when I was interviewing for this job, um, I was interviewing with John Carcutt, um, who's the director of SEO. Still, he's on actually on our, on our enterprise side now, um, but he helped start one of the WordCamps in Florida. And he saw on my resume that I was on the committee for WordCamp North Canton and that I was the chair for WordCamp Kent and WordCamp Northeast Ohio and that I spoke at all these WordCamps. So that was like part of my interview process was talking about what I do at WordCamp. But like I've met some of my best friends at this point through the WordPress community. And that's why like I go to their camps and I talk and I just made some wonderful connections. That's great. I just looked it up. April 18th and 19th, WordCamp Atlanta. I will be there. Mm-hmm. And I know one of their organizers. All right. <laughs> Maybe I'll speak there. Yes. They're always looking for speakers. They always, yeah. especially, um, I mean, just saying, like, I always talk nowadays about SEO um, or accessibility at them, and mm-hmm. it, they're highly attended. People have wonderful questions. They're super engaged. I love it. That's awesome. Jeff, how dare you prioritize your family over WordPress and SEO? Yeah, I mean, right? sometimes I'm just hung over from Friday night. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, Angela, what do you do at WordCamp? So what do I do at WordCamp? Yeah, yeah you um, just, you said that. You said that just two seconds ago, and I was like, I was just going to say, well, what do you do? So now I said it. So... Now, I don't, I, I just attend now or I speak of them. Mm-hmm. Um, previously, I was actually on the committee that actually helped ran them because they are nonprofit. That's how the tickets are so cheap. Everybody donates their time to help run the camp. Um, and, you know, I started out just doing social media for it. So I was the one posting on social media, creating the website. And then I was the one organizing the whole thing and getting sponsors and running it day of. <laughs> um, compared to some conferences, WordCamps are super laid back. Um, jeans and a t-shirt, hang out with your friends. If you're in one of the sessions and it's not really vibing with you, you're welcome to like get up and leave. Like it, it's just a really like friendly open atmosphere. So it's not, it's not too high pressure. Um, but now I, yeah, I just speak at them now, um, typically about SEO, typically beginners level SEO. So small businesses, people that are just getting into marketing, um, new college graduates, that kind of stuff. Just like, you don't, don't listen to the snake oil salesmen that are going to be like, we'll get you on number one. Don't buy a link. Here's the basic things you can do in the run up to getting an agency to help you. Don't you just install Yoast and then it's all done, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that's one of the things that I actually go over is I'm like, yeah, install Yoast, ignore the green light. Um, 
you know, just write good content, answer people's questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's really what you need to do. The plugin's not just going to magically do the SEO despite what some people think. Yeah. Doesn't exactly. Exactly. Autopilot, which is a whole <laughs> can of worms. Um, so yeah. The public speaking angle, um, there are a lot of folks in our industry who are either A, doing it, or B, thinking about doing it. What advice for those people who are thinking about doing it because you have done it so much would you give? And, and kind of what types of things did you go through um, before you got into it or, or as you were early on in it? So... The number one thing I learned, I actually learned from my husband. Um, he got, finally got it through my head that just because something seems really easy for me doesn't mean everybody else knows how to do it. Because I've been doing this for so long, I don't realize the level of things that I know and what seems really like basic common knowledge to me isn't so common. <laughs> so even if it seems like something simple, there's somebody out there that needs to know about it and wants to learn about it. And if it's something you feel really confident about and you know a lot about, yeah. pitch a talk about it. I have that Especially issue if you're a woman. <laughs> Absolutely. I have that issue where it's, I feel that there's so many SEO conferences, there's so many SEO blogs, there's so many SEO news things that it's, I do have that issue where it's like, oh, I talk about this, but like there's a million people talking about it right now. And it's like, what is, I'm yeah. always looking at what that next big thing is out there. But in a, in a way, the basics are still not like, and I've learned this with my clients, like some of my basic, like the basics are not being followed. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and internal education with, and, and my, my clients is where I, I love to focus on that. Um, though I sometimes feel like I've been doing this for a long time. I should be like, teaching them all about like how to use machine learning to do better SEO, not, not teaching you that like, let's not write over 65 characters on the title or, or let's add a title to our page. Cause you know, we, we forgot to do that stuff, but it's, it's. And I think that's what people forget. Like everybody still needs a reminder on the basics and like how the, how the, why the basics are still relevant. Yeah. I feel like is a big thing. Yeah. And it, like, and it, I was gonna say a little bit basics and a little bit above right there is like that's ninety percent of what we need to know and everything else is sugar on top of it. So yeah, it's um yeah. it's a pretty rare situation. I've been in agency world for ninety percent of my career, and there I can count probably on one hand the amount of clients where their SEO strategy was so well developed that we only ever focused on really advanced stuff. Um, for the most part, when yeah. people have come to us, they've got like very basic, very fundamental problems, very fundamental technical problems, or because they haven't really ever thought of SEO or, or done keyword research, they don't understand what their consumers are searching for, where they should be showing up. So they have a lot of content gaps. And we spend a lot of time in because SEO takes a long time because it takes a long time for implementation to occur a lot of, uh, in most cases, um, it can take years to get some of the yeah. basic stuff right and finally in place. But the, the weird juxtaposition in agency world is you don't have years. <laughs> so sometimes no. you're, you're 
really stuck between a rock and a in a hard place but yeah i mean most people come to us with basic basic um basic needs and we we are having to serve those needs but then the flip side is on the public speaking and the conference side like i i think sometimes i fall into the um the the way of thinking like jeff where it's like Everybody, like nobody, everybody, I, I assume everybody who would be attending an SEO or WordPress conference would already know the basics. So like, I, I don't pitch more because I'm like, well, what can I tell these people that they don't already know? And sometimes that's the wrong way to think about it, for sure. Um, I totally realize that's the, um, probably the, the wrong approach to take because for every person in there that does know some of the basic stuff, there's probably a new person in there that's never heard any of it before mm-hmm. so yeah and you'll notice that like even the seo conferences they'll have a talk here and there that's like basically rehashing the basics and how and why it's still relevant to today right. did, did you ever have any like fears of getting up on stage and talking in front of a lot of people <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> like i get i get that nervousness of like what if i can't answer somebody's question Um, but I'm super outgoing and kind of like in your face, one of those types of people. So like getting up in front of a group was never, um, a fear for me. (laughs) Um, You're you're one of the lucky ones. Like I, I have a, a, a bit of a public speaking fear, which I usually quickly get over, but like, I have a weird thing that happens to me when I, when I, I talk in public and most predominantly. So I've, I don't, I don't want to call myself a singer, but I've sang in public um, several times for like benefits and whatnot. And um, I have this thing right before I'm about to go on stage. And a couple of times, literally seconds before the words are supposed to come out of my mouth, where everything just goes blank and I forget all the words. And literally like the words don't come back to me until the second my mouth opens. And like, you have no idea the amount of anxiety and stress and fear that that causes could, could you imagine like being like the, the music is not stopping. Oh no. Missing your, missing your cue because you forgot the, that's like, that's a real thing. And like, there have been times I feel like where I've been speaking in front of people and that happens to me and, and the light bulb just goes out and there's a, there's a certain amount of silence where like, it's okay. But then like, as you're trying to get yourself <laughs> out of your head and nobody knows that this is happening, there's a certain amount of silence that just gets awkward. And like the yeah. longer it goes on, the more awkward it gets. And you're inside, like, instead of thinking, what was I supposed to be singing? What was I supposed to be saying? You're thinking now all these people are seeing me freak out, say something, <laughs> say something. And that's what you're doing, doing what it should be doing. So like, that's my personal public public speaking fear. Oh, yeah. it's very real for me. I know other people have that. Here's here's how I have that not happen, and this always boggles people's minds. So you can go to like WordPress.tv and you can see like some of the recorded WordCamps that I spoke at. Um, I know a lot of people like put together presentations and they have like cards and they like know exact. I have no idea what I'm going to say when I get up there. Wow. I just have a deck that's like, cues me to talk about things. 
and I just go. <laughs> style, man. You're like a, a jazz musician. <laughs> I'm similar to that for every time. I'm yeah, so so yeah, I used to, because like, I like to read the, especially when I'm at WordCamps, because there I know that a lot of these people are very new. I can kind of read the room and see what kind of questions I'm getting asked throughout the presentation. And it might shift what I'm going to say. So it's always slightly different, but I always kind of end up with the same takeaways. Yeah. But yeah, I just get up there and talk. <laughs> I've never smoked like a gigantic, you know, 500 person room, but I've done tons of small like meetups, like with mm -hmm. 30, 40 people in there. And um, yeah, I definitely like to feel out the room. I know kind of where I'm going with everything, but you know, one question, yep. if I had a script that I was going off of and one question threw that script off, then I'd be like trying to rewind, like where was I at? And <laughs> I, I know- I would think. <laughs> I have been told, you know, we, we used to have like presentation training at, at different companies and like they're like stand in front of the mirror and practice what you're gonna say. And and, and I, I get it if I'm doing a keynote speech maybe, or if I'm doing like, Something like yeah. that. But I like to be very, um, you know, give and take with the audience, right? So it's, again, I have my slides. We know we got an hour. <laughs> um, there's been many times where I'm on slide 16 and we have 10 minutes left, right? So it's like one yeah. of those things where, but if the audience gets what they want out of it, like I, I'm not there to make, like my final slide's not like a mic drop. <laughs> it's like at that time, it's like my mic drop would be like, if you want more information, hit me up and we can talk or let's talk right after yeah, this. Come talk to me after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <So it's> <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I've been in, I've been in the situations because um, I do a lot of uh, advocacy um, for nonprofit outside of just work where like those presentations have to be more structured. But even those, yeah. I leave that wiggle room because yeah. I think that's how it helps me get over that fear. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen the movie Old School? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you have, Jeff. Um, I know I have. Or a question for Angela, but <laughs> I guess I should have phrased it the other, a different way. But anyway, so for those of you folks that haven't seen the movie, first off, it's a funny movie, uh, so you should go see it. Um, it's it's old, older. It's from my generation, I guess, but I guess which makes it a little old. Um, there's a scene in the movie where Will Ferrell's character goes up for like a, a debate and they're essentially debating as part of this competition to keep the charter for their fraternity, loose, loose fraternity going so that they can keep their debauchery of a fraternity open. And so they're having this debate and it's, it's this, uh, this massive thing with a moderator and the school president who does not want this fraternity to exist kind of tries to rig it. And he brings in famed political commentator, James Carville. And then they ask this really, really hard question. And James Carville's about to answer. And Will Ferrell goes, excuse me, uh, I think I could take that one. James Carville's like, have at it, Hoss. And Will Ferrell's character proceeds to perfectly and succinctly answer the question and then immediately after, everybody's patting him on the back and he just kind of like wakes up and goes, and, and he's like, what the, what the heck just happened? I blacked out. And for me, when I'm public speaking sometimes and or sometimes when I'm like, when I have material that I know and I'm very, very comfortable with, I feel like there have been times for me where that kind of happens. 
um, where I'm just yeah. kind of going with the flow and it's almost like you can do it on autopilot. And I, it makes me sometimes when that has happened to me, think of that scene in that movie. Um, and, and, and that's, and, and that's the version of me that is over my, over my stress about public speaking and very comfortable with doing it and very much jiving with the, with the audience. And, um, I would say like, I've, I feel like I, I personally have come a long way, but for me, it's even still awkward because there is, there is that element of it. So there are people that are just so not comfortable with it. And I'm definitely one of those people even still deep into my deep into my career anyways jeff what's in the news so the the biggest news this week was the wall street journal released an article out that um was titled how google interferes with its search algorithms and changes your results <laughs> um and as a typical fashion seos went nuts um and I would say semi-rightfully so. Um, I guess like Wall Street Journal, you know, not necessarily necessarily known as like the greatest source for SEO material. <laughs> um, yeah, but they said they SEO material. <laughs> yeah, that's where I go first, you know, for my <laughs> SEO stuff. But uh, I always get their paywall block. So I will admit that I've only <laughs> read um, a, one paragraph and then everyone's quotes because I do not pay for the Wall Street Journal. Um, and I yeah. really think if SEOs didn't go crazy. That article, no one would even read it. But it's, uh, um, except like, you know, old businessmen. <laughs> um, but in general, you know, it's like one of the big things that they interviewed over a hundred different people for this, they said. And it's interesting because I guess all who you interview and the way I look at it and how they probably got their information, right? It's like, I interviewed a hundred SEOs. Okay. I can, I can interview a whole bunch of really great SEOs. And then there's all like these, you know, link builders and spammers I can interview also. So of course, and the conspiracy theorists, yeah. right? So if I'm reading some of these and I'm going, okay, that's a conspiracy theory, but the Wall Street Journal didn't really do their investigative um, actions to that. And if they did, like uh, I know Glenn Gabe was misquoted on his, um, but some of the things they were kind of saying is, you know, Google makes algorithm changes to benefit and favor big business. Um, so that's something people have been saying for a long time. And But if you kind of understand algorithms, you look at it as saying, like, do I want to order something from Amazon.com or do I want to order something from the, the smallest, like one guy who had one website who has one product <laughs> and gets 10 visits? It's totally right? trustworthy. It's totally right. So there is a trust factor to this. Um, to me, it wasn't news, but I guess to some people it's Who not. knew? Yeah. There's a trust factor in SEO? Yeah, it's part of the, uh, Jake's favorite term, eat. <laughs> it's one of the, yeah, well, and, and if you read any of the guidelines, it seems like that's part of it, right? They go for people who have like expertise and authority and trust, so. Um, another, I guess, was, you know. The, hold on, hold on, no, no. We're, okay. not moving, we're not moving past this yet, Jeff. Because okay. I've, I've got a lot of problems. No, 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 no. And now you're going to hear about them. <laughs> To quote Seinfeld. Um, so Wall Street Journal. So they they wrote an article about SEO. Okay. They're not an authority on SEO. So like on one side, I'm thinking as a person who would have been interviewed, well, damn, it would have been really cool to be approached by the Wall Street Journal to like 
have yeah. them want my thoughts, but like the um, the cynic in me, and and the person in me who pays attention to things outside of the scope of SEO would think, well, the Wall Street Journal is a media outlet, and the reporter is probably being given a directive by their superiors and their leadership within the company that whatever they report, it has to take a certain slant. So when things came out as being misquoted and being just probably factually wrong, like given the, the environment today, and I don't want to like, I don't want to bring in politics, but given the political environment that we all live in today, where media outlets are slanted in one way or another with agendas, should it have surprised anybody who was interviewed that they were misquoted and that this reporter found a way to push their agenda pretty much despite the, the evidence given by the people who were being quoted? Like, does that surprise you guys that they took those quotes and slanted them the way that they wanted? I don't know. So I've been, I've been interviewed for a couple of different um, media publications. I've been in USA Today um, and I've been in Slate both um, for infertility related things. And they, both stories, they, they were really accurate for how they quoted me. So I would probably be surprised personally. Um, I think it would have more to do with finding out. So when I'm typically approached for something like that, I typically want to know, like, what's the slant? Like, what's the end game here? Like, what are, what is this? What is the purpose? Because there is a purpose for the article that's being written. Mm -hmm. So find out what that is and see if it's going to be in line with what you're going to say. Yeah, we don't want to have all this effort and time to say, Oh, Google's just, you know, they're not doing bad things, right? Like the whole idea is you want to kind of try to expose them on it. And it is, I, I would be shocked a little bit, right? Because out of all the news out there, like if I was on Gawker or BuzzFeed, like I expect them to maybe get things wrong. I don't know why. Maybe I think yeah. them as less. But the Wall Street Journal, you, like there is this integrity with like big things, right? And um, there was a time where the, I think the New York Times exposed JCPenney for doing Black Hat SEO. And, and I was kind of actually shocked that it's New York Times exposing them um, doing it. And I, and I yeah. feel like, oh, Wall Street Journal, same to me, the same level, not knowing, like I don't read either of them actually, but in my head, same level of professionalism would get things right. And, and misquoting, like if it was a little misquote, great, but, or not great, but, you know, understandable. But I mean, as I think Glenn Gabe said, like, he was not even, like, he was off the record. He was not even supposed yeah. to be mentioned in the article. And then they mentioned him with a, you know, whether a misquote or a made-up quote, because he said he never said that. So to me, that's not misquoting. That's just making up a quote. <laughs> um, and, and it looks at that going like, oh, that's not great. And then just the topics that were in there, I think, are easily understandable by most, not easily understandable, but most SEOs won't say it's black magic and that people were back there controlling it. Like, of course they yeah. have people looking at results and altering algorithms based on that because they want to make sure like we are getting what we want. And as a, like as a customer or, you know, my wife who doesn't yeah. do SEO, she's yes. getting what she wants when she types it in. Like you have to look at the results and then alter them with what, what is great. And it's like, again, would yeah. I have 17 
sites that didn't make sense to me or one that, okay, it's Wikipedia. Like they're the biggest site out there for information. Like, of course they're going to be up there all the time. It's, it's, it's interesting. That's the thing that like boggles my mind with articles like this, where it's like, yeah, Google's a business. Obviously they're in it. They're making money. At the end of the day though, they only make money if they give people what they're looking for. So that's still their end goal. Their end goal is still to give the consumer what they want. And it's, it's funny, like Google is the reason I have a job, but then there are a lot of times where I think Google is evil sometimes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they do a lot of things. They say, users, they say for users, but really like a lot of stuff is to enrich the folks within the company and to affect the oh, yeah. and their shareholders and things things of that nature. I actually don't believe that this story is one of those things that I think it's supposed to indict Google. And I think maybe the average person who doesn't do what we do will read it and think what the hell's going on at Google and will think that they're the evil empire. I think for the folks yeah. interviewed and for the folks inside the industry, like I don't take this article so seriously because I, I think that the way it's being slanted is just, it's stating things that aren't a problem like they are a problem. And I think the other yeah. side of this is if I were one of the people that got interviewed, um, I think what I was trying to say earlier is like, I don't, I think they were being naive to think that a, a publication like this and, and Jeff, when that JC Penny thing happened, I feel like that's more than 10 years ago, the climate mm -hmm. with media in that 10 years has changed dramatically, oh especially with what's going on in politics right now. And it's kind of like Hatfields and McCoys where like one media outlet is, is very black and white against one side and the other media outlet outlet is very black and white against the other. And there's no middle. We are, we are the enemy currently. Yeah. See, yeah. I work on the agency side, but I still work for a media publishing company. First and foremost, right. we are so, the enemy right now. So, so there's a lot of bias going on so so for these people like they have a right to be pissed i would be pissed if i was misquoted or completely like having something attributed oh yeah to that i didn't say but at the same time like consider the source this is the wall street journal they're probably pushing an agenda they're not an s it's not like they're search engine land right they're not seo news so they're not people that know what goes on in the inner workings every day like we do so like just by the very nature of it, they're probably going to get some of it wrong or misattribute or misunderstand some of what you're saying. And when you layer that into the idea that there might be some sort of ulterior motive on the part of the reporter or the, um, the entity doing the publishing, um, I just think that probably the folks might have been a little naive to think that that wasn't going to happen. So I don't know. I don't know whether they... If I were in their situation being quoted, uh, I probably would have provided a quote too. I'm not saying that I wouldn't have been. It's just an interesting way to to think about it. And I probably would have been mad if they misquoted me. I don't know if I would have thought uh, that way, like cynically, like I guess I should have expected it. Um, and I would imagine being in their place, maybe they did think about that. Maybe they didn't. Um, but like looking at it from an outsider's perspective, I'm not surprised that it got distorted. So that's my two cents. 
everybody in SEO who got quoted, feel, feel free to come and attack me, but I hope you don't. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want a part of Twitter drama. All right, Jeff, you can move on. That's my piece. Cool. Well, I mean, there was other parts to the story too. So, I mean, one of it, that was like the big thing, right? That Google's manually changing things. They have engineers behind that. Like they said that, you know, eBay bought placements, you know, to, to be better in the search, um, which, you know, Hey, if they can figure that out, great. But I don't, I don't think that, that's just called paid search. Yeah. So there, and there was, <laughs> they've done paid search and they've done not paid search. Right. So it's, yeah, there was there was a ton. Um, you know, I think one of the part of the they have a bigger was, budget. That's not fair. Yeah, <laughs> they one part said like Google employs thousands of low-paid contractors whose sole purpose is to assess the quality of the algorithm and rankings. Like that is a negative thing. Like and like on, lots of corporations hire low-paid contractors to do things. But then they survey them and say okay, did you see the results that you expected? And they will say like, yes or no, I think this should be here and there. And that's where like brand dominance comes into play. Like if I'm searching for, you know, uh, some sort of, I, I don't know, a stroller. And like, I was expecting Target to show up because Target's right down the street from me. And I didn't get Target. I would probably say, hey, I thought like Target would be there. And then Google can adjust things to maybe get those results. But they're not like Target's not calling them and saying, "Hey, we're not number one. Let's put us yeah. in this place." And they, they're saying this is across thousands of contractors, right? Like, like you're not just going to tweak something and be like, "Okay," and like that's probably with everything with Google, one of the ranking factors, right? Because other things come into place. You know, we know links and content and all this other stuff comes into play. But at the end, if they're not giving you the results, you you're not going to use them, right? So it's it's kind of. Yeah. Uh, the effect of where it's, you know, we see this on the Bing side of things, right? Where it's, I mean, there's one reason Google is Google and that's because they mostly give us what, is, what we want. As an SEO, yeah. I sometimes hate that because I don't want the, you know, this knowledge graph to come up above my client's site. But as a consumer, I'm like, great, you answered my question, thanks. <laughs> and yeah. and I don't need to go to the website. So I see both sides of it and I had to think about it as the consumer side of things. And consumers, like, we need, like, I'm typing into Google, I need to get my results. As an SEO, I hate that. Like, okay, my 10 blue links are now pushed down because I have images and paid search and things. And, and the paid side, to me, um, as a consumer who wouldn't know, could be deceptive to an extent. Um, I mean, they, they name it ads, but if I don't know anything about search, like, I'm clicking one of those ads, right? So it's... Um, and hopefully Google's placing the right ads where they need to be clicked or, or someone's paying for ads for no reason at that point. Um, but yeah, there's a ton in there. I, and I think um, one of the things is like they, they went through and saying that um, they had a blacklist of domains yeah. or companies that they don't rank well. Um, and maybe like, I don't, I don't think there's like a whiteboard with like all the, like, you know, or um, if you ever watch the, the TV show Blacklist. It's not Sharpie like, note? Yeah, or anything like that. But it's like, hey, there's, there's spammers out there. And of course, yeah. like, we don't want them showing up because we want quality results. Disavow. Yep. Disavow exists for a reason. Yep. <laughs> and they've so, got all those files. Yeah. We're self-reporting. I so, I mean, I think as SEOs, we get this and we see it as bad, and I understand the backlash out there um, on there. But it's one of those where uh, 
maybe this is where like we were talking about earlier that like I feel like the beginner stuff that I like to look like everyone knows that but there's you know when it comes to things like that especially in the Wall Street Journal maybe 0.1% knows like the truth there and that's where it becomes damaging and I think we also try to defend ourselves as SEOs plenty of times we there's a lot of bad SEOs out there right so uh, (laughs) We don't want to be misquoted, like the good ones don't want to be misquoted or, or see like we're part yeah. of the black magic that's going on. So I, I get that totally. Uh, I think that's where I think some of the frustration for that article comes from is that it's a more highly regarded news source mm-hmm. misreporting about our industry when we already we already have enough crap that we have to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a good point. Add them in now too, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a good point. And um, Jeff, you brought up a good point. Like there are a lot of bad SEOs out there. And one of the thoughts that was occurring in my brain was, well, if I'm a bad SEO, like, do I know that I'm a bad SEO? And probably the answer is not always. And I'm not saying any of those folks are bad SEOs. But what occurred to me next is if I were a good SEO, and this is some sort of a, a smear against Google or a smear against SEO in general, there might be the perception that I'm a bad SEO and I wouldn't want that perception associated with me if indeed I was a good SEO. So yeah, I, I could see where the folks might get mad about that. That is a good question. I never thought about if I was a bad SEO, did I know if I was a bad SEO? <laughs> like the link builders realize that they're, I guess spammers know they're spammers, right? So it's... Yeah, um, but there's, I mean, there, I know there's white hat and gray hat and, and things like that. So um, it, it's interesting because I just don't want, I do fight that, that, that look right with companies that like, oh, SEO is black magic or SEO is, is bad and actually fighting internal politics at, at companies where I'm trying to tell a developer how to code a site a certain way. I'm not giving you the code, yeah. but we need these results at the end. And they think of me as like, um, the enemy, the enemy and something. So like, having more fuel to their fire is not what I'm looking for. Um, and it, yeah. you know, I'm not going to say that, Hey, trust everything an SEO says also, <laughs> because I think that's why there could be some misquotes in that article, depending who you interview. Like so, there are plenty of SEOs out there who believe Google is manipulating their search results. And that's why they can't get the number one, that's what they're telling their clients. Like you'll never yeah. beat target because they're target and there might be some truth to that. But to say that Google reserve this spot for target is not, you know, it's not right. It's become, become Amazon. Like Amazon started off as a guy in the back of his truck, like delivering books. And now he's Amazon, right? Not everyone can do that. Of course it's a, it's an amazing story, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it's really hard for small business right now to rank for those top end terms. You gotta find a, a better way, you know, whether it's social or just giving cl- customers different, you know, becoming that authority, becoming that like expertise. Um, it, it's it's a lot of work and it's not something you can pay $500 a month to do, especially when you're fighting against like someone like Target and Amazon and like well, the commerce space. And the point that I always make to people too is those top end terms aren't gonna be your conversion point anyways. Exactly. So just ignore them. Like they're not going to actually turn into dollars for you. You don't want that traffic. Yep. But people have vanity. 
and people I know. have egos and that's sometimes the problem they want those terms yep can't have them so anyways so jeff i know that there's some other news we're uh we're running short on short on time so i want to dive into into structured data so angela i know uh you were saying before (laughs) that you um you work all the time in structured data. So I guess what are, what are your thoughts? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? What would you recommend to people? So I'll start with the thing that I don't like about it. Um, I don't like how little visibility there is into the reporting for it because of how critical it's become. So there's Search Console. I can see some rich snippet information kind of what I get. (laughs) Like at least there's that visibility so I can show the eyeballs. Um, So I've started including that in my reporting for clients, um, but but more robust reporting specific to snippet placement would be amazing. Um, Because I do at the end of the day understand that it's, yeah, it's so that Google can make money, but it also is user experience. The less a user has to click, the happier they are. And that's how Google's going to make their money. So I totally 100% get it from their side. But I really want um, to be able to show my clients where they're showing up. Like, here's all of this backend work that I've done. Here's all of this coding that we've done, we've implemented, and it's working. Here's the effect that it's having not just look at all the eyeballs that saw you because yeah. <laughs> yes. i do like it the thing that i find interesting in like jeff i, th- I would say jeff you're probably a little bit more technical than than i am um although i'm, pr- I'm pretty technical is um everybody knows quote unquote i'm gonna say quote unquote knows that structured data is supposedly a good thing Right. Um, And there's all kinds of structured data out there. And I'm glad that we're now calling it structured data because that's the larger umbrella. A lot of people just call it schema.org and I keep going, well, that's, that's one type, but like there are a bunch of other, not a bunch, but there are other types of structured data that Google can use. So people a lot of times get structured data in schema.org confused and um, yeah, I find it, <clears throat> I find that part interesting, but the thing, the thing about structured data in general is, is when we're doing a technical audit or when we're working on a site's technical foundation, that is one of our leading recommendations in terms of things that we often see lacking that need mm-hmm. implemented. But the thought always occurs to me is, should it be? Should it be one of our leading recommendations and the reason why is there's so many types of structured data out there what the things that actually populate rich snippets in search results versus the amount of structured data that's available that you could mark your site up with it's like yeah 10 percent or 20 percent or i don't even know what the percentage is but like you could mark mark the crap out of your site with all kinds of structured data and there's no proof. There's no proof that it's actually doing anything beneficial for you until you get some sort of a rich snippet. 
And what you're saying, and it's, and it's very true, is even when you get that, the reporting is so limited in, term, in terms of is it doing anything valuable for you that it always makes me scratch my head when I hear folks go, yeah, structured data is, is good and we want to feed Google a bunch of information and um, we need to get that implemented right away because it's critical to, to, to technical site health. And the thing I always like take a step back and think is, okay, I agree. But like when we're talking to the client, like a lot of times they need proof and they need evidence and they need a reason to prioritize something in their development queue or to displace something in their development queue to prioritize your recommendations. And the thing I always worry about is we have such a limited window to get things implemented and to make an impact before our contract runs out on the agency side. And I always worry that we're blindly following quote unquote best practices because Google pushes it or because we think it's a best practice without ever testing it on the other end, without testing, say, Hey, I implemented blog post schema. Okay. Well, that's great. Did it do anything for you? I don't know. That's usually the answer. I don't know. Um, but it's a best practice. So I guess I should implement it. And the, the thing about it, 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 it that, that honestly, that drives me crazy. And what I wish is one, that there were better reporting and two, I wish that more SEOs would think along the, um, would use the, fr- the, 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 the line of thinking of test it and measure. Once you implement yep. it, see what then happens after that from a results standpoint and document it so that when you go to another client and you recommend that particular type of structured data or schema, whatever, you can say, hey, I did this on this client and it worked out really well and here's why. And a lot of times, like especially with things that don't trigger rich snippets, it's going to be correlation and not necessarily causation because there's not really a lot of reporting on it. Um, But yeah, Yeah, that's all we can do is say, oh, well, we saw this many more eyeballs. But then we do an organic, and then we switch over to analytics and we look at like their year over year organic and then see if their conversion rate is increased. And that's exactly it. You're correlating that if it did increase, it's probably due to the snippet capture. But there's that connection isn't there yet. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I love working in structured data. Like nothing makes me happier than to sit for an hour and to develop some like clean, beautiful JSON structured data markup to pass over to the client and say, hey, just throw this into your page. And it's that part for me, because I come from like a a technical background, like I enjoy doing that. And I enjoy putting those recommendations together for clients. And I enjoy even more when they implement them and they implement them correctly. When I can go to the structured data (laughs) testing tool and see no validation, it's like that, that stuff, like that makes my heart happy, but like the cynic in me, and I think every good SEO is also part cynic automatically also thinks like, okay, I've got a, I've got a finite amount of time with this client potentially. And I've got a finite amount of things that they can implement. And I always think like, yep. Is this the thing that's going to move the needle or is this the thing we're just trying to get in place because it's a best practice. And like, I think we should all think about, the things that move the needle and move those up in the queue before the things that are housekeeping best practice items. 
And it depends on the vertical too. So like if you're, if you have a client that's in a vertical where eyeballs are really important. So I, one of the, one of the clients that I run very high volume schema for is a, a realtor. They care about eyeballs mm-hmm. and they, they're competing against Zillow and Trulia and all of these sites. So realistically, they're generating content. They're doing all the other stuff that we tend to do for clients. So they're literally a technical client for us. I hold their developer accountable to page speed improvements, and then I implement schema on their site. And that's all I do for them. And they've seen huge organic growth year over year because of that. But they're one of those situations where I get to have fun and do that because they're just looking for visibility. They're not looking for conversions. Whereas I have clients where schema might be fantastic, but they don't even have content. So content's got to come first. So let me ask you this. How did you get into a situation where the client trusts you enough to implement schema? Because usually like developers are like, keep your damn hands off my screen. Um, Basically the way I, so we did an audit of their site. Um, We have a custom audit that's about 120 pages. Um, Looks at about 350 different points that we go over everything. Um, and then really for them, I was like, you know, you guys are a realtor, you have great content. Your, your descriptions for your homes are amazing. Um, your site's going to be a little slow, but it's a little slower than I think it should be, especially when comparing it to your competitors. And I pitched them. I said, here's the thing. I was like, you're not going to beat Zillow. You're just not but you can beat the other local realtors because somebody's going to find a home on Zillow and then they know that they're going to have to go to somebody local. Mm-hmm. So you can be the second result after those big companies. And I taught them cause they had no, the reason they had reached out is they'd noticed that one of their competitive agencies um, was showing up before them for the same homes. And I determined that it was because their title and meta structure was pretty terrible. Um, got their developers to change it, saw within like a couple of months, saw a drastic change where they were starting to beat them out. Um, And I was like, here's the next step. The next step is going to be applying schema because they don't have it. Zillow does. That's that's your, that's your sweet spot. And it's, it's proved to work. So it was fun. We have a really good relationship with this client already um, on our paid search side. So that helped as well. And just having a good, a good trusting relationship with this client. Um, And they kind of let me roll those dice. And I was like, I think this is going to pay off. But I told them too, I said, you know, I can't make any guarantees on this, but this is what my gut is telling me. And a year later, we've, we've seen, we've seen it pan out. But there is that fear, you know, as an SEO, as it goes, like, you're like, no, 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 this really should be the thing. It should, it should work. It should work. Yeah. Please, God, let it work. <laughs> and, and Google does give some good examples. Like, Google does give some good examples on, like, how to schema. Like, like if you do it right, yeah. like, it doesn't guarantee, but you can get a nice, you know, how-to section on your mobile phone or FAQ schema. But then there, yep. there are those ones out there, like, I don't know, I just kind of looked up real quick there, like one for comic books. I mean, I guess if you have a comic book site or, or stuff, but it's like, is it a product? Is it like, 
is Google going to do anything yeah. on that one? Or um, are they going to do anything for if you are, I don't know, uh, looking here, like movies make sense. Like there's certain ones I know, like events. There yeah. are certain ones that I know Event. that we need to, to be, you know, ingested into Google properly and kind of displayed in their stuff that there's ones that we need. Um, but then there are a whole bunch out there. Like I, I know breadcrumbs can give me good breadcrumbs. I know that, you know, there's ones out there, but yeah. there's a whole bunch that are have no clue on, um, have no clue, like I, I usually don't recommend, I usually use you depending again on vertical insight. Like there's a, there's a handful that I recommend. And then you know, there are so many more. And is it like eventually Google's going to get around to these and they're eventually they going to be put in there? Are we ahead of the game? Are we wasting our time? Like, and Jake, as you were saying, you're right. Like there are, uh, yeah. we have, an inf- we have a, a, a finite amount of time Infinite. to show results. And thinking for like four years down the road is not one of them right now. Um, and I, yeah. I'm hoping that structured data helps other things too, right? Like, so right now we have things like open graph that like when you put it on your site and someone posts onto, you know, Pinterest or Facebook, it pulls that information in from there. Um, you know, Twitter has their Twitter cards and stuff, but like, I think structured data can feed other things like your calendar because you have an event. Yeah. You know, your calendar should integrate with schema to pull those events into your calendar. Uh, things like that. Yep. I think schema is great that way, but I don't see like Microsoft outlook using them yet. Right. So it's, it's, we do it as SEOs for SEO, but I feel like there's a, such a big potential for every other type of app out there that needs to feed data. Um, I think of my website, which is sad these days. I think of it as like a feed. <laughs> I'm feeding Google. <laughs> um, you know, if you think yeah. about it as like, here's my XML feed, here's my content feed, here's all these different feeds. And then let's skin it to make it pretty for customers. <laughs> um, it, that's kind of how I, I, I think of things, but not everybody does, of course, but, I would love for, you know, like a music playlist schema to be able to be ingested by my iTunes app. Um, but it's not there right now. Like it's, it's really just yeah. pushing this and Google pushing this. Like the only ones that I really focus on is like product, listing, blog, FAQ. Um, we've doing a lot of, uh, with the medical related schema, um, just because that's, huge in search, obviously. Um, and then uh, organizational schema. Like, by default, we essentially load organizational right. schema for every client. Yeah. Really and that's really, and then it's, like, based on the client kind of where we go from there. Have, um, but I always tell clients, because they'll ask about that. How do I get position zero? I'm like, well, you have to have good content first. Have you guys <laughs> ever had any instances where, you recommended a, a particular, and I'm, I'm going to say product schema, for example, and a client was apprehensive about some of the features of their product or offering showing up in search results for a consumer to see. That, I'll take I this. haven't yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, have a, I have a story where... Um, had a client who is, I guess what I would call a, they make a premium product. Um, so it's like the, within what they do, it's like the Cadillac, not the Honda version of a product. 
and um, they make a really great product, but we were working to implement product schema. And one of the things that's a, a huge component of that is price, price and availability. And <laughs> they did not want to expose price in search. <laughs> right. Because yeah. their, their, their price is a little bit higher. And I thought that that was an interesting position to take, given that a consumer is going to figure it out once they click on yeah. the site and get to the site. But when I think about it from their perspective, well, if the consumer sees that price, they may never click on it in the first place. Because they're not going to understand the context. Because they're not going to understand the context. They're just going to see this much more expensive thing, especially if other sites in the competitive set are, are using that schema and showing their price. Although um, I think the argument could be made for a client like that, that I'm more scared when there's no price. Right. Well, right. And like, I'm thinking <laughs> like, okay, if I'm a consumer and I look at that and I'm looking for that particular product and I'm afraid of the price, am I really the right type of consumer for you anyways? Is one of my yeah. questions. And I've seen, not with this schema necessarily, but with, um, I've seen with review schema, the, the one of the few times I've been able, and this was in the past when there just wasn't a lot of data. Um, it, there wasn't the nice Google search console data that there is now where um, we had star ratings. And there was a time when, because they worked with a specific vendor, Bizarre Voice, who I hate, um, they worked with that vendor and their <laughs> star ratings uh, magically dropped off because their schema was wrong. And then mm -hmm. once we worked with Bazaar Voice to get that fixed, um, the star ratings came back. And we, because we had that nice apples to apples comparison, were able to get a very clean before and after. And we're able to get a very clean incremental click through rate gain based on just the presence of star ratings in in search results and it was substantial and for that brand mm -hmm. in particular they're a massive worldwide brand so an increasing click-through rate of one percent for them met hundreds of thousands of more visitors just by having star ratings and that's the argument that i always try to use with with clients in terms of things that are going to trigger rich snippets in search results is like hey it's highly likely that more people are going to click on your your page as a result of this this feature but yep. on, on the business side they're you know they're definitely thinking of their business and they're trying to they're they're they were taking the opposite stance that if people see our price which is a cadillac price um maybe they'll be scared away so that was an interesting um interesting little tidbit that i've that i've been through before it was interesting i'll just say i'll leave it at that I have a client that doesn't show price either, and yeah, it's it's not because they don't want to. It's because they also have half their businesses are franchise, and the franchisees can set uh, their price. Um, and even though it's mostly the same, there are outliers where if that same business has a store in Alaska, it takes the they sell it for more expensive because you have to ship to Alaska. Um, to have it in their store, and so they charge maybe a dollar more. 
and they don't, you know, want people going into the store saying like your website says it's this price and for this price. So the only way to get prices is when you get to the website, you have to select your local store and then you get that local store's pricing. Um, but Google does not have a local store <laughs> and, or if, or if they did, it would always be Mountain View pricing. <laughs> um, right. and, and that's one of those where they, they, they can't do it. And, and I feel sometimes I, I'm fighting a battle with, you know, one hand tied behind my back because no matter all the arguments I have, like they're like, we have to look out for our franchisees. Um, so it's, it's an interesting battle there. So we try to do other things, of course, but I'm like, can we just give the highest price then? <laughs> and then of course they, they don't want to do that either. I was like, well, people, they would be pleasantly surprised when it's lower on the website. <laughs> when it's cheaper. Yeah. Um, but they, they have that fear that no one would come to the site then if they knew it was more money then. What, um, what do you guys think is the future of structured data? I, I think, like Jeff would point out, like the, the tie, the further tie in. Yeah. So, having it not just be information fed to Google, but being able to leverage that in other ways, add a calendar invite, you know, load something, add something to an app. Like I, I think further leveraging of it because it's structured data. It's formatted in a way that makes it easy to process into things. So how can we use that better? Yeah, I, I agree. That's where I think, and I see, you know, I know on schema.org there's a million, like not a million, but they keep growing the, the everything that it does. And because everything, right. It's, you know, looking at a coffee cup, like we might have coffee cup schema one day. We might, you know, there's this different sub levels cause you can keep adding, like we start off with a thing and then we break that down and we break that down. And yeah. um, to the point where we can't, can we, can we over structure data? Probably, um, but at the same time, it's structure. I think the goal of structured data is off of the web, also. So, or not necessarily off of the web, but off of like your web page and into apps and into to things like that, where it just makes sharing easy. Um, I, I kind of think of it as like you know, Elon Musk open sourced the electrical system for Tesla because he knows that if there's 17 different plugs to plug in. That no, like if I had a Ford electric car, you had a Chevy, and then someone else had a Tesla, and we couldn't interchange our electrical plugs, there would be, you know, we, electric cars will not take off um, because everyone yeah. is the same gas tank, right? So there, there are, um, you know, there's structure to that, that, and reason why there's, there's certain sizes and components to it. So if I have an app, it'd be awesome to be able to, like, I know my app can interface with your app because we use similar structures in our data. I can send you my map results. I can, you know, switch between Bing and, and someone else because and, and Google Maps because they use the same structure in the structured data. And, and I think that helps machine talk to machine. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, instead of just trying to figure it out, it makes everything more accurate. And, and that's um, the way I, I, I hope it goes because I really feel um, as kind of a, a nerd who likes to develop and who likes to interface with other systems, I don't want to have to have an Excel document in between and transform all my data, you know, and, and to then push it off to somewhere else, which I do with a lot of my reporting now. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to have like, you know, what is even in Google Analytics, right? Like a session in Adobe Analytics is not what a session means in Google Analytics or a user and there's yeah. all these different terms. So having like a structure between them all would actually be awesome because then we can compare 
apples to apples and not apples to bananas. <laughs> so Angela, where can people find you? Twitter. <laughs> um, Twitter, I am at Radkitten. Um, that's probably the, the best place to find me. That is a great handle. Where, where does that handle come from? Um, that was actually my original, like one of my original domains was radkitten.nu. That was where I was blogging. Okay. Um, and it just kind of stuck. <laughs> awesome. I even use it like in World of Warcraft. So that's my, my car plate is radkitten. <laughs> yeah, mine is just jacobstoops.com. I guess I need to be, or Jacob Stoops, just at Jacob Stoops. I guess I just, and yours, Jeff, is just at Jeff Luella. I guess we need to get more creative. You know, there was a time in my life where I had like fun handles and then I became like a shit poster. And I was <laughs> like, you know, if I use my real name, it really makes me think yeah. about what I'm going to post because yeah. when I didn't have my real name, I'm there going like, ah, starting flame wars. <laughs> so I made, I, made my life, I made my life way happier using my real name. <laughs> Next episode is just all about Jeff's burner accounts. <laughs> Uh, okay, awesome. my, my Twitter does have my real name on it, though, so I, yeah, there's no getting good. away. Yeah, there is no getting <laughs> away. Yeah. Anyways, um, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, we, really, uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, go Browns. Yes, go Browns. <laughs> Bye, Thanks, everybody. Scotty. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel, if you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.